Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Carlos Colazzo, joined only by me today. It's a solo podcast, going to be talking about the draft. Try to get J.J. Cooper on, but he's been pretty busy, going to hang out with the family, so hopefully you guys don't get too annoyed by listening to my voice for this entire podcast. Not going to be too long, just want to talk about a few draft updates, uh, talk about a few players who are of interest considering the shortened season, uh, who's affected the most by that, who's affected the least by it, but... Thank you, as always, uh, for listening to the podcast, and for those of you who subscribe and continue to subscribe while baseball is really at a standstill, we really appreciate that. Um, for me, I've just kind of been hanging out in the quarantine, continuing to grind through draft reports. We uploaded the first 50 uh, updated reports. We've had preseason reports for the top 200 players for a while now, but since there's going to be no college baseball for the rest of the season... We're going to go ahead and get up to final reports for all these players. So if you're interested in kind of diving more into the draft class, you want to know all these players, uh, the top 50 are up there now. We're going to keep rolling those out. If you're listening to this on Thursday, you can go ahead and check those out already. If you're listening on Friday, you might have even more that you can read at the moment. Um, so just tune in for that. But uh, yeah, hope you guys are doing well in the quarantine. Hope you guys are uh, binge watching Tiger King. I know... I went through that in, I think, two days with a girlfriend. Uh, it was fantastic. You guys definitely need to watch that. It's very entertaining when a lot of stuff is, is really not happening. Uh, going through Ozark as well. Really excited for Season 3. And we actually got a game of Risk in. So doing some stuff outside of baseball to uh, to kind of keep the, the writing juices flowing uh, when we do get back to those draft reports. So hopefully you guys are entertaining yourselves if you can and staying safe. Uh, first and foremost. Um, but yeah, thanks for tuning in, guys. Let's jump into this. Uh, actually, really quick before we get into some of the draft stuff, uh, just a few updates from the website. Uh, a lot of stuff with the PBA, uh, the Professional Baseball Agreement between Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball. There's an update uh, from J.J. Cooper. I said he was pretty busy. There's a very long story kind of where J.J. lays out the ramifications of the coronavirus and how that affects an already difficult struggle between MLB and minor league baseball. I think minor league baseball kind of came into this entire contraction negotiation at probably a pretty weak point as far as their leverage was concerned. The coronavirus hasn't helped that at all. Uh, JJ lays out a number of different situations that they're going to have to deal with and kind of what both sides are thinking at the moment. Definitely a read uh, that you need to check out if you're interested in kind of the, the ongoing negotiations between those two sides and how minor league baseball uh, is going to be affected. Additionally, Kyle Glazer has a post kind of on frequently asked questions that you might have on how the coronavirus pandemic changes uh, the economic landscape, uh, how players are getting paid, how much they're getting paid, um, 
what are the owners saving, what's happening with broadcast revenues, managers, coaches, scouts, umpires, just all the people that are affected by this. If you want to know what's actually happening, Kyle has a pretty good rundown on, on most of the common questions you would have for that. Additionally, we also have a really interesting piece on insiders kind of commenting on what they think about minor league restructuring, what they think about the draft being shorter, how they think that's going to affect the game. So a lot of people who, who are very much in the know for all these topics, commenting and weighing in on these things. Um, like I said, scaling back the draft, cutting minor leagues from 160 to 120 teams, um, and a number of different topics that we've kind of all been talking about for a while now. It was pretty insightful uh, for myself to read through, so I'm sure you guys will also be interested in what those authorities on the matter have to say. Uh, so definitely check it out while there's not a ton of baseball going on. On the field, we're definitely still reporting and writing and trying to provide interesting and informative uh, pieces for you guys to read at home while nothing's really going on. So thanks for, for checking that out. But I wanted to kind of talk about the BA500 update. Uh, it wasn't really a ranking update. Like I said, we just uploaded the uh, top 50 reports, pretty in-depth reports. Um, big thanks to all the guys on the staff who helped me out with that. Chris Trinkle for editing, Mark Chiarelli for editing and producing. Uh, Josh Norris for editing, and then Kyle Glazer and Bill Mitchell for uh, pitching in and helping write these and report these as well. Obviously, JJ is a, is a big help in that regard too. Um, so thanks to all those guys. But I kind of wanted to touch on some of the players who were uh, the most affected and the least affected by the season kind of shutting down. Obviously, everyone is affected in, in some form or fashion uh, by not having a baseball season. You kind of can't, you can't avoid that. But I do think there are certain demographics and there are certain players who are more affected than most who maybe either had more to prove coming into the season um, just the general profile of the player they are maybe is more risky than some of the others so I wanted to touch on a few of the guys we can start first with the guys who are affected the most and I think at least the highest ranking player that I think is probably going to be hurt the most by this stoppage of play in the coronavirus is uh, Mick Abel He's the second highest prep pitcher we have on our board. Right now he's at number 12. Um, again, you can read the full report on the website for him. But what's particularly challenging with Mick Abel is he, over the summer, he was a very projectable, six foot five, 180, lean, lanky kind of kid um, with good stuff across the board. I mean, he had a fastball that got up to 97 on our preseason All-America teams. Um, scouts vote for the best tools in the class. I think Mick Abel was in the top three in pretty much every major pitching category. Uh, so he wasn't lacking for stuff, but I think one of the questions that came up for him over the summer was kind of how consistent could he get to that upper level stuff. Uh, like I said, he touched 97 miles per hour with his fastball, but he is more typically in the 90 to 94 mile per hour range. So whereas with a guy like Jared Kelly out of Texas has significant now stuff and he showed it pretty consistently, Nick Abel definitely has that in the tank, but it's just a matter of how frequently is he going to get to that? And I think he is definitely the type of pitcher who could have changed his body significantly over the offseason. He could have added a significant amount of weight. And, and we did hear that, that he did put on a few pounds. But the problem is uh, Mick Abel never got to play a high school game. Uh, his Jesuit high school team never started. I think he threw a couple bullpens. Um, so teams either are basically just looking at a bullpen or looking at nothing from him this spring. So kind of Figuring out what to do with him come draft time, I think, is going to be a big challenge for teams. Uh, high school right-handers in general are a, a pretty risky demographic. 
you look at just kind of how the track record is of those guys panning out, um, I'm going to be very curious to see how teams, how confident teams will be in taking a guy who they haven't seen really since the end of last summer, especially with a guy who has a potential to change as much as Mick Abel does. Um, he's a pretty complete profile for a high school pitcher, does pretty much everything you want, good control, uh, especially for a guy who's as tall and lanky as he is, good breaking ball, good changeup, good command across the board, but... I think he really probably had an opportunity to to rise on boards if he could go out and, and actually pitch. And I know that's probably the case for everyone, but I, I feel like his is a profile that more than most um, had a lot of flexibility for change. Uh, so he's probably the highest ranked guy I think is affected. Another one, another player that I think is significantly affected by this is Garrett Crochet, the uh, left-handed pitcher with Tennessee. Uh, he ranks just behind McAbel. Um, but I think with him, again, we're, we're talking about a guy who has such elite stuff. He's got a fastball that gets into the 96 to 100 mile per hour range. Uh, arguably one of the better fastballs in the entire class. He's got plus secondary stuff as well, at least potentially plus secondary stuff. Uh, a slider that's been really good before. But I think when you talk about Garrett Crochet, he has some similarities with Duke left-hander Graham Stinson from a year ago. And those of you who've been following our draft coverage and just following the draft in general, you know what happened with Graham Stinson. He entered the season as a preseason first-team pitcher uh, in the college ranks, and the season did not go well for him, and it really needed to because he entered the year without a lot of starting track record. He was a very good reliever for Duke, but just hadn't had full seasons where he was in a starting role. Um, now, Garrett Crochet entered the year with more, more track record as a starter uh, than Stinson did a year ago, but he never had a full season in a starter-only role, and I think teams really wanted to see how he could handle that um, he obviously was dealing with uh, some injury issues that prevented him from, from getting going right when the season started. So he actually only threw one abbreviated outing the third week. I believe this is the week before everything kind of got shut down, before SEC play got rolling. I think I've talked about this on the podcast before. I was going to go down there to South Carolina to see Tennessee and uh, the Gamecocks match up, and I think that would have been a, a pretty high-profile event for Crochet. Um, and just if he had... If he had a full season, he showed he could handle a starter's workload. He could hold his stuff throughout his outings, throughout the season, uh, and show solid command and control. I think he's a guy who it wouldn't shock me at all if he shot up into the top 10 range. Uh, right around where Reed Detmers is for us now, he could have had an argument to be the second highest left-handed pitcher in the college class. I think it might have been a, a little bit of a stretch to, to push Asa Lacey, but when you look at just his pure stuff and the upside that you get with a guy like Garrett Crochet, if teams are convinced that he can be a starter for you at the next level, um, that kind of pitching tools package, frame, and handedness definitely fits in the top 10. At the moment, teams are going to kind of have to guess on the health. They're going to have to guess on what his uh, best future role is. Uh, and I just think that in addition to, to his injury situation and just not having a ton of time, just one appearance obviously, uh, is not great. He looked excellent in the fall. Uh, and he really rose on our boards because of what he did for scouts in the fall. If he had a few more outings this spring, uh, we could have been talking about a guy who was in maybe that top five range, and I don't think that's too crazy. Uh, we aren't going to talk about all pitchers here, but uh, we do have another one next, and that's maybe the biggest question mark in the entire draft in terms of the information that teams have on a player, and that's uh, right-hander Nick Bitsko. Uh, he's out of Central Bucks East High School, 
Doylestown, Pennsylvania. And I think he's probably the biggest wild card in the draft because, as you all probably know, if you don't know, he was originally in the 2021 draft class. He was our number one ranked player in that draft class. This January, he announced he was going to be graduating early to enroll at Virginia. Uh, and he became draft eligible in the 2020 class. So he hasn't been, I would say teams didn't probably bear down on him as much as some of these other guys, as the Mick Abels and the Jared Kellys of the world last summer. Uh, teams were probably operating under the assumption that they were going to have another year because he's in a younger draft class. But the stuff, the body, the frame, the strikes, all of that allows him to fit in with kind of this top tier of high school arms. But again, if teams weren't bearing down too much last summer, and he didn't go to a ton of events, I think uh, East Coast Pro, and then he was at a 17U USA National Team Development Program event uh, where he was 92-96 with a potentially plus curveball, uh, easy frame, or excuse me, easy delivery, physical frame, uh, and good strike throwing ability. If you weren't at those two events and really bearing down on this guy, uh, you're probably going into this spring uh, before everything got shut down, really getting your first in-depth looks on this kid. Um, so I think the teams who, who did a really good job bearing down on Nick Visco last summer are going to probably be in the best position this year. He didn't get to throw, obviously, this spring. Uh, and I just think that's going to be one of the more challenging players to evaluate for clubs. He's, he's one of my personal favorites just because of the overall package. Love the body, love the stuff, love the, the natural feel for spin. Uh, and it's just a, it's such an easy delivery and operation with him. In addition to his age, I think there's a lot of really good attributes that you have, a lot of starter traits with Nick Vitsko, but I'm very curious to see uh, if teams are going to take him in a spot where he's, um, where he's signable. Virginia has done a really good job getting some of these prep arms to campus and getting them early. Mike Vassell a few years ago was a potential top 15 pick. Uh, and then even Nate Savino, a left-hander that should have been in this year's class, but he was another player who uh, enrolled early and got to campus sooner uh, and skipped the draft. So very curious to see where he ends up going. Um, one of the last players, I think we got two more actually. We're going to get a hitter. So if you guys don't like pitchers or you're more excited about the bats, I've got another one for you here in Ed Howard. Um, Ed is interesting on a number of levels because it's a pretty light shortstop class. I think on both sides, I think teams maybe thought that the shortstop class in the college ranks would be a little bit better than it maybe turned out to be. Maybe I'm overblowing that a little bit. But either way, Ed Howard is the top shortstop in the high school class. And I think teams really wanted to see more from the bat. He's a very polished defender, undoubtedly the best defensive shortstop in the high school class. Very instinctual, fluid mover on the defensive side, reliable hands with a strong arm. He can throw from multiple slots with accuracy, he has a good internal clock. He does all the things you really want to see on the defensive side. Um, and he had shown flashes as a hitter, but I think his offensive game was really the area that you wanted to see the most improvement. He showed signs of, of taking a few steps forward last summer, um, but he is not the type of hitter that some of these other high school outfielders are around him. The P. Crow Armstrongs, the Zach Fiends, the Austin Hendricks. He's, he's not of that He's not that caliber of hitter now. I don't know if he, he will ever have that kind of upside. He's got good bat speed. He's kind of a line drive gap-to-gap -gap hitter. And not that he would have had a chance to, to face a ton of elite competition, uh, but I do think that if he kind of showed continued growth with his offensive approach um, and just with his ability to impact the ball, maybe grow into his frame a little bit more and show that 
improved power this spring, I think he probably would have had a chance to do some damage for himself because typically the top high school shortstop in a draft class goes off the board very well. Um, and Ed Howard, I think he has a lot of traits that you like to see on both sides of the ball. So it's a bummer that teams weren't able to see him. Um, obviously, that goes for, for all of these players. The last guy I wanted to touch on is another pitcher. He's another high school pitcher. Uh, this one out of New York, right-hander Alex Santos. He is a guy who entered the year kind of in that top tier first round range with, I think we had him right behind Jared Kelly and right behind Mick Abel. So I believe he was the third prep pitcher. Uh, he's a little bit lower on the board now, but I think, again, this is a guy who had he had a few more, had he had any addings, I don't think he's, his high school got rolling at all. Um, he did go down to Alabama and threw in a perfect game event that was pretty heavily scouted. Didn't show the high-end velocity that he had shown previously over the summer. But again, we're talking about a kid out of New York. Uh, maybe hasn't gotten warmed up. Uh, but he's another guy who has three potential plus pitches across the board. Good frame. He added a lot of strength over the offseason. Worked on refining a changeup. And I do think scouts were impressed with the changeup development that he showed in Alabama, that perfect game event. Um, but another kid who, who I just feel like it's going to be a lot tougher now to kind of evaluate what kind of a player he is when you really didn't get any looks at him. Um, and again, we, we look at the five players that I just mentioned that I think were the affected most. I don't think it's very surprising at all that three of those are high school arms from the northern part of the country. Um, so it's obviously a bummer for those guys, so, but they all have talent. They all have first round talent. It wouldn't shock me at all to see a team buy into that. Um, I'd be excited for that to happen because, uh, you know, it'd be a gutsy call for a scouting department to, to take one of these guys with, let's say your team that you don't, you don't have a ton of comp round picks. So really uh, you need your first round pick to hit. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with those guys. Now kind of pivoting to the opposite end of the spectrum. I think there are some players who uh, are able to handle this uh, this pandemic without hurting their stock too much. Not to say that any of these guys we already touched on, they hurt their stock. I just think there are maybe more questions that the teams wanted to have answered. Um, but these next few players, I feel like are, are players who have already kind of banked a lot of their stock. Um, and I wanted to also choose players outside of the top 10 round range because I, I don't think it would surprise anyone if I told you that Spencer Torkelson isn't really affected by this. Teams are pretty convinced uh, in the hitter that he is at this point in his tool set. But... The first player I want to touch on in this regard is Heston Kierstad. He's the number 15 player right now on our draft board. Um, and he's maybe the best hit and power combination outside of Spencer Torkelson. I guess depending on what you think of Nick Gonzalez and Austin Martin's power, uh, you could make an argument for that. But the Arkansas outfielder is maybe one of the best he has one of the one of the deepest hitting track records of anyone in this class. He's a guy who's hit better than 330, 400, 550 in each of his first two seasons with Arkansas. And in the limited at-bats that he got this year, he was already doing better than that. Um, he's got middle-of-the-order potential as a hitter, probably more power over a pure hit tool, potential plus-plus future raw power, the ability to leave the ballpark in any direction. I think he's a guy who, excuse me, He's a guy who teams could have a lot of confidence in with a selection, maybe in the middle of the first round or even kind of getting close to that top 10 round range. He's a guy who we've heard comparisons to Trevor Larnick out of Oregon State a few years ago. 
Uh, just a very good college hitter. He's not going to do a ton defensively for you. Um, but when you look at his overall profile, his track record, and his resume, I think there's a lot of safety that you can have with a player like that. Um, his track record with Team USA is also pretty impressive. He hit close to 400 uh, with a 651 slug last year, led the team in most offensive categories with two homers, a triple, and three doubles. So he's just a very refined hitter. He knows what he's doing, and he brings a lot of impact to the table. So I think he's a guy who maybe is less affected um, than other players on this list. Another guy who, who I think has pretty much banked a lot of his stock is Tanner Burns. Um, he's a pitcher, college pitcher with Auburn, who's he has a pretty good SEC track record. Uh, he doesn't have the highest upside of some of the other pitchers that we're talking about. He certainly doesn't have the upside of guys like Garrett Crochet, who we've already touched on, and, and Max Meyer at Minnesota. Uh, but he's a guy who's just pretty much been a workhorse uh, for Auburn since he stepped on campus. He's got a fastball in the 92-94 mile per hour range. Um, he's got two breaking balls that are potential above average pitches as well, and a curveball and a change. Uh, he throws a slider that could give him a fourth pitch. Um, but he just does everything pretty well. He doesn't do anything exceptionally well, um, but there are no real holes in his game where you can kind of look at and wonder about. Uh, he's a bit undersized for a right-handed pitcher, but he's proven that he can kind of take the ball, handle a starter's workload, uh, and really dice up some of the best hitters in college baseball for two years now. So I think he's one of these kind of high baseline, high floor type players who you can really have a lot of confidence in. Um, and there's some there's some pitchers in this class, like I said, who maybe offer some more upside, uh, but they probably don't have the, the security and the safety that you could have with a guy like Tanner Burns. Another player I want to touch on is Daniel Cabrera at Louisiana State. Uh, he's kind of in the mold of that Heston Kierstad, just a very polished hitter. You can feel safe about the quality of the hit tool. He's done it for a number of years, even going back to his high school days. I know coming out of Parkview Baptist High in Baton Rouge. Scouts really liked his swing. I wasn't doing the draft thing for Baseball America at the time, but just looking at our internal reports um, and our public reports, you guys can go read them as well, um, from that 2017 draft. He was a top 100 high school prospect, um, and teams really liked the bat, and he's gone to LSU and hit in the SEC and just continued to prove that he is an above-average hitter. Um, maybe doesn't have as much power, in the tank is a guy like Kierstad, but he always puts the barrel on the ball, has excellent feel for the barrel, hits the hits the ball to uh, the opposite field, up the middle, pull side, um, and can just do a lot of things for you at the plate. Very consistent approach, very easy, simple swing. Uh, again, probably going to be a corner guy that's not going to offer a ton of value with the glove, uh, but I do think that, that that kind of profile, that polished college hitter who has kind of shown you what he can do and has a good track record against good competition, those are the guys who... We see those types of players rise in normal drafts. Uh, I'm curious if that'll maybe even be more aggressive with a guy like Cabrera and Kierstad. Right now we think of Cabrera as like a back of the first uh, or into the second type of player. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me at all though if someone jumped him in the middle of the first round just because there is so much more risk associated with everyone in the class and you want to kind of Use your money for the guys who are maybe a little bit safer, and Daniel Cabrera would definitely fit into that mold. Also wanted to talk about a couple of players who were trending up and trending down before the cutoff, and just kind of wonder about what might have happened had the season continued on, if they had a chance to keep trending in the directions they were trending in. Obviously, for the guys who are trending up, 
Uh, it's bad news that the season was ended, but the guys who are trending down, um, maybe it isn't the worst thing in the world, at least in terms of how their draft stock specifically uh, is regarded. Uh, but one of the top players that was trending kind of in the right direction um, on our list right now, a guy who jumps out to me is Kate Cavalli, the Oklahoma right-handed pitcher. We talked to a number of scouts who said this is kind of the ideal uh, frame that you're looking for for a frontline starting pitcher. He's a towering six foot four, 218-pound righty um, who looks like he could be you know, a quarterback at a high level, just very good-looking athlete. And on paper, he does everything you want. He's got a fastball that can get up to 98. He's got a, a nasty slider in the kind of upper 80s that gets into the 90 mile per hour range that is really difficult for hitters to, to do anything with. He's got a curveball on the changeup that are also solid average. Um, throws pretty good strikes out of a pretty clean delivery. I mean, it's I saw him with USA Baseball last summer. It's, it's one of the more clean uh, and easy operations that I've seen uh, from an amateur pitcher. Uh, and he's a guy who really impressed people early this spring. Um, I think while he was on the way up, there are a few questions that, that maybe teams wanted answered with him moving forward as well. While the fastball has 70-grade velocity, I think it played um, down from that, at least a grade and perhaps more, um, just maybe because of the lack of deception, maybe because of the lack of movement. But he didn't get as many whiffs as you would maybe want to see from that kind of velocity. Um Additionally, he's had some injury history going back to his high school days, um, some injury questions. So I think if he had a chance to maybe show that he can handle the starting workload over an entire season, it would have really helped him out. Uh, another player who I think was training in the right direction but maybe didn't get a chance to fully realize um, just how, how impressive he was playing is Nick Lofton, uh, the Baylor shortstop. He's a guy who was kind of in this maybe second tier of shortstops along with Alika Williams and some other guys like Gage Workman around here, although Gage Workman uh, plays third base for Arizona State. Uh, he's, he's got some shortstop potential as well, but that kind of group of players right here, I think Lofton is an interesting guy because he's not the toolsiest player in the world, uh, but he does everything pretty well. And this spring he started hitting with a little more thump than he's shown. We've talked with scouts who think he has just fringe average power, but he had the highest slugging, isolated slugging mark that he's ever posted um, to this point, I think it was only 13 games. Um, so that could easily be a small sample issue. Um, but I think he was showing a little bit more impact. It was pull side impact, but if at the end of the season you're looking at this guy and you're saying, okay, he might have a little bit more power than we expected, now you're not looking at a shortstop who's kind of solid at everything. Maybe he's not going to be an impact hitter, but you're looking at a guy who is an above average defender, is a solid hitter, and maybe has a little bit more thump. I just think that maybe could elevate the, the ceiling of his profile and could have pushed him uh, from maybe a fringe first-round candidate to maybe a locked-in first-round candidate if he kept hitting at that kind of level throughout the year. So he's another guy that was trending in the right direction. And then um, another arm who I was interested in and was going to see in a couple of weeks is Bobby Miller. Uh, everybody knows Reed Detmers at Louisville, but the Saturday guy for the Cardinals, Bobby Miller, he's He's kind of the same mold as Cade Cavalli in, in that he has a big physical frame with impact pure stuff. Um, but with his profile, I think you're, you're looking at a guy who maybe has more reliever question marks than a lot of these starting pitchers that are in our first round range right now. It's not the easiest delivery in the world. Some scouts question kind of the, the stiffness 
to the arm action and wonder if he's a better fit for a bullpen role. Um, but he has all the stuff that you want to see from kind of a middle of the rotation arm. If he had a chance to maybe throw a few more innings and continue racking up strikeouts and throwing throwing good strikes, the the strike throwing that he had shown this spring I think was a significant tick up from previous years for him. And I'd even talked to some scouts early on who said, hey, uh, when I saw this guy, he looked like a top 10 pick. So the fact that he was trending in that direction and the season just came to an end, maybe halted some of that upward movement. Uh, but there were scouts who saw it. So it's not like he's in a situation with some of these high school players who just never got to show their stuff. But uh, I'll be interested to see where he ends up going in the 2020 draft. Okay, I think that wraps up all the players that I wanted to touch on. I'm sure you guys are tired of me rambling at this point. wanted to jump into a couple questions that we got on Twitter. Um, if you guys don't follow me on Twitter, you can at Carlos A. Colazzo. We do these podcasts and request uh, podcast questions uh, pretty frequently um, whenever we do I'm going to try to try to request some questions so I'll try and get into a couple of these um, Montana bad boy nice handle there asked do you have any thoughts on gauge work gauge workman's defense could he hold down shortstop in the bigs I think uh, for all of these questions especially guys who we have in the top 50 um, you can get all the information that you need on his profile right now on the website you can check that out but I think he's got a chance for shortstop. The fact that he's not playing that for his college team right now uh, is always concerning for teams. And obviously he's playing third base in deference to maybe the best defensive shortstop in the class in Alika Williams. I do think that raises some concerns. I would say he's probably more likely to move off the position, but he has all the tools, the athleticism in the arm to, to have a chance to handle it. Um, Got a question from ECU Pirate Nation. Would you mind helping Subdogs ECU go back to back by simply hitting the link and smashing the tweet button? So I'm a UNC grad. I think it would be blasphemy if I were to vote for a Greenville bar for a, a Twitter competition. But uh, I, I looked into this and apparently the only other bar in the championship for whatever this internet competition is is some bar in Kansas. So because UNC has ties to Subdogs, I think I'll help you out in that regard. Uh, moving back into some baseball questions. How many players for NC State and Duke do you think will get drafted, and who are they? Uh, that's from Justin L. Cook. Um, a good amount. I think right now we have 12 guys from both of those teams combined that I wouldn't be surprised to see drafted. Uh, I think we have four, uh, excuse me, we have five right now that are in the top 300. Uh, those guys are Patrick Bailey, Nick Swinney, um, for North Carolina State, uh, and then Bryce Jarvis, Joey Loprofito, and Michael Rothenberg for Duke. Those are the guys we currently have in the top 300, but there are a number of other interesting names that are definitely draft guys uh, who are maybe a little bit further outside of that consideration. For State, a couple interesting hitters, Devontae Brown, Tyler McDonough, Austin Murr, um, and then for Duke, a guy like Matt Mervis could be an interesting senior sign. Uh, Thomas Gerard as a right-handed pitcher, uh, and then a couple other interesting arms for North Carolina State and Evan Justice and Reed Johnson. All those guys are interesting. Um, looking forward to kind of continuing to, to bear down on some of the, the depth players with some scouts in the near future. But all those names are guys who I wouldn't be surprised to see drafted. I'm sure there are a couple others. Those, those programs both routinely put out a number of good um, draft picks, whether that's at the top like Patrick Bailey or more kind of depth players at the bottom of the draft. Although... 
Maybe we'll see fewer of those guys I mentioned there at the end, just because who knows, we might be dealing with a five-round draft. Uh, but Pat, Patrick Bailey and Bryce Jarvis, those two are definitely going to be, they'll be just fine. Um, what else do we have here? What player do you think the Yankees can be interested in in the draft? Parentheses, first round. That's from Alejandro with a bunch of numbers. Uh, sorry, if you have a bunch of numbers and you wanted your, your Twitter thrown out, uh, sorry. As for who are they interested in the first round, the Yankees, they pick, let me pull this up here, they pick at the back of the first round specifically, uh, they're 28th. Um, if you know who they're interested in, let me know because even in a normal year at this point, it'd be basically impossible to figure out who the Yankees were picking at this point just because there's so much in front of them that they're still tr they're trying to figure out who is going to be available. The Yankees in a normal draft year probably wouldn't know who they were taking. So for me to kind of figure out who that is is a bit of a reach. This year it'll be interesting just in terms of mock drafts and finding out which players are tied to which teams. It'll be a lot more difficult just because there are no games going on. Uh, it's it's not easy to scout the scouts, but but that's generally how you can get a lot of information. Uh, just seeing who's bearing down on which, what games, what what scouts have been watching which players kind of the entire year, uh, cross-checkers, scouting directors, stuff like that. This year it'll be a lot more difficult to find that information. So we're still going to try and do it, obviously, but it'll, it'll be the biggest challenge um, that I've experienced in the three years that I've been covering the draft. Um, another question here from Carl JT31. With the new setup, either five or ten rounds, do any Northeast players get drafted, or does the sh shortened draft hurt them the most? Thanks and stay safe. Uh, appreciate the question. Um, yeah, I do think we've touched on a couple of these guys. Um, Alex Santos and Nick Bitsko are definitely two of those guys uh, who get hurt by it. I do think in general, all of the high school players from the northern half of the country basically all those players get hurt more uh, than other demographics I think maybe college relievers also get hurt by this but really those guys at the top and bottom of the class and and all the depth high school players that teams just didn't have a chance to kind of work through their prep list all those players are the guys that are going to get hurt the most from this um, at underscore b coon underscore s do you expect teams to be fearful of taking high school players high in the draft? I don't know if fearful is the right word. I think if a team is looking at a high school player in that range, especially high in the draft, that they probably have pretty good information and pretty good feel for who those players are. Um, more skeptical, maybe that's a better word. They're definitely going to be dealing with less information than they ever have when we're talking about some of these guys in that range. Um, so, yeah, we, we definitely expect fewer high school players to be drafted this year. Uh, whether it's five or ten rounds. Uh, and then last question here from Tim815. I think that's Tim Hugh. He's a frequent uh, featured questioner on the podcast. Thanks for throwing another one at us, Tim. Uh, he says, I've gone from going about 110 miles per hour regarding the draft, adding new data every few days, to being a hunk of steaming metal on the side of the road with smoke billowing from the undercarriage. How are teams going to be able to find out who will sign for 20K if they can't ask them? Uh, Tim, I really don't know what you're talking about in that first part of the question, but as in terms of the second one, will teams will be able to talk with players once they kind of, once MLB makes um, kind of the ground rules known for the draft and once the draft date is announced, uh, teams will be able to, to talk with players and try and figure out that signability concerns, I would imagine. Um, 
But in terms of how are they going to sign all those 20K guys, that was definitely a, a concern that was brought up to me from some scouts, from some area scouts in particular who were wondering, hey, after the, let's say it's 10 rounds, after the draft is over, are they just going to have to be scrambling, getting all these guys on the phone, trying to sell their team on signing for 20K when you really can't offer any more than that. So you're basically just trying to sell your team. It's going to be a challenge for sure, um, especially for all these seniors. I imagine there are still going to be a lot of senior targets. Um, the teams will just want to, to kind of fill out the minor leagues. Um, so it will be tough. I, I don't know if I have a great answer for that question, but it's definitely something that the teams are trying to work through at the moment. Um, and I think that's everything. Yeah, hopefully you guys uh, didn't get too too bored for me talking with you without JJ here to kind of offer some some interesting tangents and, and rambling stories. Uh, it's nice to kind of bounce things off JJ, but it's been fun to talk draft. We want to keep doing these podcasts regularly. We're going to keep updating the draft content on the website. Um, so keep checking that out. And thanks to everyone for listening. Again, hope you guys are doing well. Hope you're staying safe out there. And yeah, we'll see you next time.